I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We want a I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the future of war. Resistance is futile. Jedi's strength flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. It's, it's a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a uh, reach call. You're listening to Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is episode 594 for Sunday, July 17th, 2016. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today, I'm going to take a look at one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time. Today's movie is The Day the Earth Stood Still. Before I get into this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed. With that said, I'm going to play the main title theme to this movie. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back after the music with some movie information and then we'll get into the movie.
The Day the Earth Stood Still is an American science fiction movie. It was released September 28, 1951. The movie was directed by Robert Weiss. It was produced by Julian Blaustein. The screenplay was written by Edmund H. North. It was based upon the 1940 novel Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates. The music was written and composed by Bernard Herrmann. The movie stars Michael Rennie, Patricia Neal, and Hugh Marlowe. The movie was distributed by 20th Century Fox and has a running time of 92 minutes. Here's the cast, starting at the top. Michael Rennie was Klaatu. Patricia Neal was Helen Benson. Bobby Gray was Bobby Benson. Hugh Marlowe was Tom Stevens. Sam Jaffe was Professor Barnhart. Lark Martin was Gort. And Frank Conroy was Mr. Harley. That's it for movie information. Let's get into the movie. The movie starts off with a flying saucer landing in Washington, D.C. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a space ship in Washington. Government and Defense Department officials are concerned by reports of panic in several large eastern cities. I am authorized to assure you that so far there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these rumors are absolutely false. The ship, designed for travel outside the Earth's atmosphere, landed in Washington today at 3.47 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We still do not know where it came from. The ship is now resting exactly where it landed two hours ago, and so far there is no sign of life from inside it. Troops have been rushed across the Potomac River from Fort Myer and have thrown a cordon around the ship. They are supported by tanks, artillery, and machine guns. Behind the police lines, there's a huge crowd of curiosity seekers. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Every eye, every weapon is trained on the ship. It's been that way for two hours. And the tension is just beginning. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. A door opens and a ramp appears from the side of the flying saucer. A tall, thin alien comes out of the spaceship and walks down the ramp. The alien introduces himself as Klaatu, and he has come in peace. Klaatu reaches into his spacesuit and pulls out a strange object. He points the object towards the crowd of people, and spikes protrude from it. An over-anxious soldier shoots the object and injures Klaatu. While this is happening, a giant robot named Gort exits the ship. Gort destroys all the guns, rifle, tanks, and heavy artillery. The wounded Klaatu commands Gort to stand down. Klaatu is taken to Walter Reed Medical Center for treatment. While in the hospital, Klaatu is visited by Mr. Harley. He's the secretary to the President of the United States. My name is Harley, secretary to the president. I've been told you speak our language. Now, that your name is Mr. Klaatu? Just Klaatu. The president asked me to convey his deepest apologies for what has happened. Sit down, Mr. Harley. Thank you. I'm sure I, I need hardly point out that your arrival was something of a surprise. Have you been traveling long? About five months, your months. You must have come a long way. 
About 250 million of your miles. Naturally, we are very curious to know where it is you come from. From another planet. Let's just say that we're neighbors. It's rather difficult for us to think of another planet as a neighbor. I'm afraid in the present situation, you'll have to learn to think that way. The present situation? I mean the reason for my coming here. We're very curious about that, too. Would you care to talk about it? I'd be glad to. Not now, of course, with you alone. Or perhaps you'd rather discuss it personally with the president. This is not a personal matter, Mr. Harley. It concerns all the people on your planet. I, I'm not sure I understand. I want to meet with representatives from all the nations of the Earth. I'm afraid that would be a little awkward. It's completely without precedent. And there are practical considerations. The time involved, the, uh, the enormous distances. I travel 250 million miles. I appreciate that, but... I want to be frank with you, mister. I mean, Kartu. Our world at the moment is full of tensions and, uh, and suspicions. In the present international situation, such a meeting would be quite impossible. What about your United Nations? You know about the United Nations? We've been monitoring your radio broadcast for a good many years. That's how we learned your languages. I'm sure you, you recognize from our broadcasts the evil forces that have produced the trouble in our world. Now, surely you I'm agree... I'm not concerned, with... Mr. Harley, with the internal affairs of your planet. My mission here is not to solve your petty squabbles. It concerns the existence of every last creature on Earth. Well, perhaps if, if you could explain a little... I intend to explain. To all the nations at the same time. How do we proceed, Mr. Harley? Well, we... Uh... We could call a special meeting of the General Assembly, but of course the United Nations doesn't represent all the nations. Then I suggest a meeting of all the chiefs of state. Believe me, you don't understand. They wouldn't sit down at the same table. I don't want to resort to threats, Mr. Harley. I merely tell you that the future of your planet is at stake. I urge that you transmit that message to the nations of the Earth. I will make that recommendation to the president. But I must tell you in all honesty, I'm extremely dubious about the results. Apparently, I'm not as cynical about Earth's people as you are. I've been dealing in Earth's politics a good deal longer than you have. Good night, sir. Mr. Harley returns the next day with telegrams from all of the world's leaders. Good afternoon. I'm glad to see you up and around. Thank you. Have you any news? Not very good news, I'm afraid. The president accepted your suggestion and cabled the invitations for a meeting. Let me read you some of the replies. The premier wishes to inform the government of the United States that it will be impossible for him to attend the meeting suggested by the president unless the meeting is held in Moscow. The suggestion of the president regarding the possibility of a meeting in Moscow would be unacceptable to his majesty's government at the present time. Representation could be sent only if the meeting were held in Washington. Well, there you have it. Now that you understand the situation more clearly, 
Perhaps you'd like to discuss it with the president. I will not speak with any one nation, a group of nations. I don't intend to add my contribution to your childish jealousies and suspicions. Our problems are very complex, Klaatu. You mustn't judge us too harshly. I can judge only by what I see. Your impatience is quite understandable. I'm impatient with stupidity. My people have learned to live without it. Klaatu decides he must walk amongst the people of Earth before he can make a decision that will affect everybody on the planet. He steals clothes and luggage from a major carpenter, another patient at the hospital, and then escapes. Klaatu wanders the city until he finds a boarding house and rents a room. Klaatu introduces himself as Mr. Carpenter. This is where Klaatu meets a young widow named Helen Benson and her son, Bobby. What is it you want? My name is Carpenter. I'm looking for a room. Oh, I see. Are you an FBI man? No, I'm afraid not. I'll bet he is, Mom. I'll bet he's looking for the spaceman. I think we've all been hearing too much about spacemen. Oh, this is Mrs. Benson, Mr. Carpenter. How do you do? Hello. And little Bobby. Mr. and Mrs. Barley. And Mr. Crawl. How do you do? Hi, Mrs. Crockett. I have a very nice room on the second floor. It has two large windows and gets the sun all day long. Hey, mister, can I help you look for the spaceman? I know just what he looks like. He's got a big square head with three great big eyes. That's enough, Bobby. It's late. Come on. Excuse me. We mustn't annoy Mr. Carpenter. He won't want to stay here. He's really a dear little boy and quiet as a mouse. You're a long way from home, aren't you, Mr. Carpenter? How did you know? I can tell a New England accent a mile away. The next morning, Helen and her boyfriend, Tom Stevens, are headed out for a picnic, but they have no one to watch Bobby. Klaatu volunteers to spend the day with Bobby while they go on their picnic. Bobby takes Klaatu to Arlington Cemetery to see his father, who was killed in Anzio in 1944. Did all those people die in wars? Most of them. Didn't you ever hear of the Arlington Cemetery? No, I'm afraid not. You don't seem to know much about anything, do you, Mr. Carpenter? Well, I'll tell you, Bobby. I've been away a long time. Very far away. Is it different where you've been? Don't they have places like this? Well, they have cemeteries, but not like this one. You see, they don't have any wars. Gee, that's a good idea. What would you like to do this afternoon? Go to the movies. All right. No fooling, will you? No fooling. Bobby, tell me... Do you have to have money to go there? I've got two dollars. Mom gave it to me. No, I want to take you to the movie. Do you think they'd accept these? Gee, they look like diamonds. Well, in some places, those are what people use for money. They're easier to carry and they don't wear out. I bet they're worth a million dollars. Would you give me your two dollars for two of these? Well, sure. Okay. Let's not say anything to Mom about this, though, huh? Why not, Bobby? Well, she doesn't like me to steal from people. Bobby and Klaatu go to the Lincoln Memorial and the park where Klaatu landed his ship. Klaatu asks Bobby who's the smartest man on the planet. Bobby tells Klaatu that Professor Barnhart is the smartest man on the planet. Bobby, who's the greatest man in America today? Well, I don't know. Spaceman, I guess. No, I was speaking of Earthmen. I meant the greatest philosopher, the greatest thinker. Well, you mean the smartest man in the whole world. Yes, that would do nicely. Professor Barnhart, I guess. He's the greatest scientist in the whole world. He lives right here in Washington, doesn't he? Right near where my mom works. Oh, where's that? 
Department of Commerce. She's a secretary. That man that called a secretary isn't at all. My mom's a real secretary. Mr. Carpenter, now can we go see the spaceship? If you like. So Klaatu and Bobby go to Professor Barnhart's house, but he's not there. So Klaatu leaves a message for Professor Barnhart on his blackboard, knowing only he can understand it. Professor Barnhart's housekeeper comes in and orders Klaatu and Bobby to leave. Klaatu gives the housekeeper his name and address and leaves with Bobby. Later that evening, an army officer shows up at the boarding house and asks Klaatu to come with him. The army officer takes Klaatu to see Professor Barnhart. This is the man you wanted to see, Professor. Thank you, Captain. I'll wait outside. You wrote this? It was a clumsy way to introduce myself. But I understand you're a difficult man to see. I thought you'd have the solution by this time. Not yet. That's why I wanted to see you. All you have to do now is to substitute this expression at this point. Yes, that will reproduce the first order term. But what about the effect of the other terms? Almost negligible. With variation of parameters, this is the answer. How can you be so sure? Have you tested this theory? I find it works well enough to get me from one planet to another. I am glad to. I spent two days at your Walter Reed Hospital, room 309. My doctor's name was Major White. Now, if you are not interested or if you intend to turn me over to your army, we needn't waste any more time. You may go now, Captain. Please thank General Cutler and tell him... Tell him that I know this gentleman. You have faith, Professor Barnard. It isn't faith that makes good science, Mr. Cutler. It's curiosity. Sit down, please. There are several thousand questions I'd like to ask you. I would like to explain something of my mission here. That was my first question. We know from scientific observation that your planet has discovered a rudimentary kind of atomic energy. We also know that you're experimenting with rockets. Yes, that is true. So long as you were limited to fighting among yourselves with your primitive tanks and aircraft, we were unconcerned. But soon, one of your nations will apply atomic energy to spaceships. That will create a threat to the peace and security of other planets. That, of course, we cannot tolerate. What exactly is the nature of your mission, Mr. Klaatu? I came here to warn you that by threatening danger, your planet faces danger. Very grave danger. I'm prepared, however, to offer a solution. Would you care to be more specific? What I have to say must be said to all concerned. It is too important to be entrusted to any individual. I gather that your efforts on the official level were not entirely successful. I come to you as a last resort, and I confess my patience is wearing thin. Must I take drastic action in order to get a hearing? What, what sort of action do you mean? Violent action, since that seems to be the only thing your people understand. Leveling New York City, perhaps, or sinking the Rock of Gibraltar? Would you be willing to meet with the group of scientists I'm calling together? Perhaps you could explain your mission to them 
And they, in turn, could present it to their various peoples. That's why I came to see you. It is not enough to have men of science. We scientists are too often ignored or misunderstood. We must get leaders from every field, the finest minds in the world. I leave that in your hands. One thing, Mr. Klaatu. Suppose this group should reject your proposals. What is the alternative? I'm afraid there is no alternative. In such a case, the planet Earth would have to be eliminated. Such power exists? I assure you, such power exists. The people who come to the meeting must be made to realize this. They must understand what is at stake. You mentioned a demonstration of force. Yes. Would such a demonstration be possible before the meeting? Yes, of course. Something that would dramatize for them and for their people the seriousness of the situation. Something that would affect the entire planet. That can easily be arranged. I wouldn't want you to harm anybody or destroy anything. Why don't you leave it to me? I'll think of something. Maybe a little demonstration. Something dramatic, but not destructive. That's quite an interesting problem. Would the day after tomorrow be all right? Say about noon. The next evening, Klaatu asked Bobby if he could borrow a flashlight. Then Klaatu leaves the boarding house and heads to a spaceship. Bobby follows Klaatu and sees him enter the spaceship. When Helen and Tom return from their date, Bobby tries to tell them that Mr. Carpenter is a spaceman. Tom goes up to Mr. Carpenter's room to see if he's in, but he's not. But while he's in Mr. Carpenter's room, he finds a diamond on the floor. Bobby, what are you doing up at this hour? I couldn't sleep, Mom. I had to tell you. Tell me what? Well, after you left, I followed Mr. Carpenter. And where do you think he went? Right into the spaceship. Now, Bobby, wait a minute. Honest, Mom, I saw him. It opened up and he walked right in. And that big iron fellow was walking around, too. Bobby, you've been dreaming again. No, I haven't, Mom. Honest, I, I promise you, I saw him. Where'd you see all this, Bobby? On the lawn, down at the mall, in that place with the soldiers out in front. Where were the soldiers all this time? Well, that big iron guy grabbed him and knocked him out. I like Mr. Carpenter, Mom. I'm kind of scared. Oh, don't be frightened, darling. It was only a bad dream. Here, we'll prove it to you. Tom, will you ask Mr. Carpenter to come down for a minute? Sure. He's in the room next to mine. Okay. Now, think back hard. You didn't follow Mr. Carpenter at all, did you? You hadn't even been out of the house. Yes, I have. Now, you didn't really see a spaceship, but you thought you did. I'd never call you a liar. The next day around noon, Klaatu goes to speak to Mrs. Benson at her job. He wants to know what Bobby has told her. The two board an elevator, and then it abruptly stops exactly at 12 o'clock. As a demonstration, Klaatu has neutralized all the electricity on Earth. I saw Bobby this morning before he went to school. Yes? I'd like to know what he told you last night. I really didn't pay much attention. Bobby has such an active imagination. Did you believe what he told you? I have a reason for asking this. A very important reason. There's another elevator we can use. What is it you want? Before I ask you to be honest with me, perhaps I should be completely honest with you. What happened? What time is it? Just 12. 
We shall be here for a little while. About 30 minutes. Well, we can try pushing the other buttons. They won't work. Why not? You see, the electricity's been neutralized all over the world. Bobby was telling the truth, wasn't he? Klaatu and Helen are stuck in the elevator for 30 minutes. During this time, Klaatu tells Helen the reason why he is here on Earth. I've already told you more than I told Professor Barnhart because, in a sense, my life is in your hands. I thought if you knew the facts, you'd appreciate the importance of my not being apprehended before the meeting tonight. Of course. Of course I do. You hold great hope for this meeting. I can see no other hope for your planet. If this meeting should fail, then I'm afraid there is no hope. It must be 1230. Yes. Just exactly. While the electricity was out, Tom went to a couple of jewelers to have the diamond he found appraised. The diamond is not of this world. Tom rushes back to his office and has his secretary call the military. Tom suspects that Mr. Carpenter is the spaceman. Helen arrives in his office as he is on the phone with military officials. Oh, Helen, come on in. Tom, I've been trying to get you all afternoon. I have some terrific news about your friend, Mr. Carpenter. What about him? Helen, he's the man from the spaceship. I had that diamond checked at three different places. Nobody's ever seen a stone like that. After what Bobby told us, that's enough for me. Why is it nobody knows anything about him? Why hasn't he got any money? All right, Tom, it's true. I know it's true. You... How do you know? Never mind about that. But you've got to promise me you won't say a word to anybody. Are you crazy after what happened today? But you don't understand. You don't realize how important this is. Important? Of course it's important. The point is we can do something about it. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. We mustn't do anything about it. Believe me, Tom, I know what I'm talking about. He's a menace to the whole world. It's our duty to turn him But he him. isn't a menace. He told me why he came here. He took. He told you? Oh, don't be silly, honey, just because you like the guy. You realize, of course, what this would mean to us. I could write my own ticket. I'd be the biggest man in the country. Is that what you're thinking about? Why not? Somebody's got to get rid of him. I'm not going to let you do it. Yes? Believe me, Tom, this is the most important thing in the Margaret? world. What's his name, Margaret? General Cutler. Yes. Oh, all right, I'll hold on. Tom, you mustn't. You don't know what you're doing. It isn't just you and Mr. Carpenter. The rest of the world is involved. I don't care about the rest of the world. You'll feel different when you see my picture in the papers. I feel different right now. You wait and see. You're going to marry a big hero. I'm not going to marry anybody. Helen, I... Hello, General Cutler. No, I don't... No, I don't want to speak to his aide. I want to speak to the general. Tell him it's about the spaceman. Helen races back to the boarding house to pick up Klaatu before the military gets there. The two climb in a waiting cab and pull off just as the military rounds the corner. The military knows which cab they are in and follow them. Klaatu is worried about what Gord is capable of doing if something should happen to him. He makes Helen memorize these three words, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. If something should happen to him, she must go to Gort and say those words. It's only a few blocks to Barnard. I'm worried about Gort. I'm afraid of what he might do if anything should happen to me. Gort? But he's a robot. Without you, what could he do? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the Earth. If anything should happen to me, you must go to Gort. You must say these words. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. 
Please repeat that. Batu. Barada. Nikto. You must remember those words. The military has the cab with Helen and Klaatu cornered. Klaatu gets out of the cab and tries to make a run for it. He is immediately gunned down by soldiers. With his last breath, Klaatu tells Helen that she must go to Gort. Helen blends in with the crowd and then heads off to find Gort. She reaches Gort just as he vaporizes the two soldiers guarding the spaceship. She is about to be vaporized when she says, Klaatu, Barada, Necto. Gort doesn't destroy her. He picks her up and takes her inside the spaceship. Then Gort goes to the jail where they have Klaatu's body. He vaporizes the wall to the cell where Klaatu's body is, picks up the body, and takes it back to the spaceship. Inside the spaceship, Gort places Klaatu's body in a machine that brings him back to life. I thought you were... I was. You mean... He has the power of life and death? No. That power is reserved to the Almighty Spirit. This technique, in some cases, can restore life for a limited period. But how long? You mean how long will I live? That no one can tell. Outside of the spaceship, Professor Barnhart, his fellow scientists, and the military are meeting. When the door opens and the ramp comes down again, Klaatu, Helen, and Gort exit the spaceship. Klaatu tells everyone present his reason for coming to Earth. I am leaving soon. And you will forgive me if I speak bluntly. The universe grows smaller every day. And the threat of aggression by any group, anywhere, can no longer be tolerated. There must be security for all, or no one is secure. Now, this does not mean giving up any freedom, except the freedom to act irresponsibly. Your ancestors knew this when they made laws to govern themselves and hired policemen to enforce them. We of the other planets have long accepted this principle. We have an organization for the mutual protection of all planets and for the complete elimination of aggression. The test of any such higher authority is, of course, the police force that supports it. For our policemen, we created a race of robots... Their function is to patrol the planets in spaceships like this one and preserve the peace. In matters of aggression, we have given them absolute power over us. This power cannot be revoked. At the first sign of violence, they act automatically against the aggressor. The penalty for provoking their action is too terrible to risk. The result is we live in peace without arms or armies, secure in the knowledge that we are free from aggression and war, free to pursue more profitable enterprises. We do not pretend to have achieved perfection, but we do have a system, and it works. I came here to give you these facts. It is no concern of ours how you run your own planet, but if you threaten to extend your violence... This earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace, or pursue your present course and face obliteration. 
We shall be waiting for your answer. The decision rests with you. Klaatu and Gort board their spaceship, lift off, and head back into space. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. Today's movie is ranked number five on the American Film Institute Top 10 Greatest Science Fiction Movie List. The Day the Earth Stood Still was the first big-budget science fiction movie made by a major American studio since 1930. Today's movie was Michael Rennie's first American movie role. Claude Rains was the first actor to be offered the role of Klaatu. He declined due to a prior commitment on Broadway. Spencer Tracy was also offered the role of Klaatu. He declined the offer because he didn't want to play second fiddle to a damn robot. And Baxter was originally cast as Helen Benson. The role of Gort was played by Locke Martin. He was the doorman at Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. He got the role because he was tall. He was 7 foot 7 inches tall. He had difficulty wearing the suit and could only wear it for 30 minutes at a time. In the original story, Gort was the master and Klaatu was a series of doubles or clones that died after a short time. The United States Army refused to cooperate after reading the script. The National Guard had no qualms and gladly offered their cooperation. As a homage to this film, George Lucas named two alien bounty hunters in the Star Wars trilogy, Klaatu and Barada Necto. And that's all I have for movie trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek connection. Everybody knows I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I try to find a Star Trek connection in every movie and television show I watch. There are two Star Trek connections in today's movie. Robert Weiss is the first Star Trek connection. He was the director of Star Trek The Motion Picture. The second Star Trek connection today is Nicholas Meyer. He and Robert Weiss provided the audio commentary for the DVD I watched today. Nicholas Myers was the director of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And that's all I have for the Star Trek connection. Here are my comments about the movie. I watched the 2002 DVD release from 20th Century Fox's Studio Classics. The picture and sound quality are excellent on this DVD. The DVD comes with an audio commentary by Robert Weiss and Nicholas Myers, a 70-minute documentary called Making the Earth Stand Still, a movie time newsreel, a restoration comparison, five still galleries, the shooting script, and the theatrical trailer. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time. It has a great story. Check it out. You got a league of planets that, are, that send an emissary to us to warn us to either tell us to get our stuff together and join them and behave or get vaporized. The league uses spaceships manned by robots to keep the peace. Man, that's a great story. I think everybody on the cast did a great job. I am so glad they chose Michael Rennie to play the role of Klaatu. I just can't even see Spencer Tracy or Claude Rains playing Klaatu. Michael Rennie, he's tall and thin, which made him look more alien. Because he was, you know, he's six foot four, and the guy that played Gort was seven foot seven. They're both tall. So they, they would look taller than average people, so they would look alien. Um, Patricia Neal, she was great as Helen Benson. The scene where Gort's getting ready to zap her and she's saying the magic words, it looked it was great. Um, she was totally believable in the movie. 
Even Hugh Marlowe did a good job as her boyfriend, even though he was kind of a dick during the movie. Um, I love the look of the spaceship. It's a classic flying saucer. And I loved how the door opened and the ramp slid from the bottom of the spaceship. That's cool. I mean, that movie, this movie is 65 years old, and that scene right there still looks good. Um, the interior of the spaceship kind of reminds me of something out of Flash Gordon, but it still looks good. Uh, but Gort, Gort is amazing. Um, he's totally scary. Um, I have a Gort story to share with you. Uh, one of the Gort suits is in the Science Fiction Museum in downtown Seattle. I went to the to the exhibit when my daughter was three or four years old. And I will never forget how scared she was when she saw Gort. She was terrified. She would not go near that thing. And it's funny because while I was watching the movie and doing my research for the podcast, I asked her the other day, does she remember seeing Gort? And she didn't really remember him until I showed her the picture. And then she goes, oh, yeah, Dad, he scared me bad when I was a little kid. And it's like, oh, that's very cool. Um, the director of the movie was Robert Weiss, and he did an excellent job. Love this movie. He would go on to direct such movies as West Side Story, The Sound of Music, The Sand Pebbles, and The Andromeda Strain. Another thing I really liked about this movie was the score. It was written and composed by Bernard Herrmann, and he would go on to score several other classic movies, such as North by Northwest, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Vertigo, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Mysterious Island, Cape Fear, my personal favorite, Jason and the Argonauts, and Taxi Driver. This is just a great movie. It's a must-see for all science fiction fans. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. It's on Netflix. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. Check it out. It's well worth the time. Uh, and those are my comments about this movie. That's it for today's podcast. Before I end this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back on the podcast next week. He will be doing a video cast on the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5 signing off.